Jamie Burks with the Capacity Building Center for States, co-host of A Look Inside, Sharing Power in Child Welfare, a podcast series by and about people with lived experience in child welfare and about their partnership with leaders within child welfare agencies, partnerships that are aimed at improving child welfare systems. Over the next couple of episodes, you'll hear Tony Parsons' lively discussion with a young adult leader and an agency leader from Nevada. So here's Tony and his guest with the first part of their conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to the second episode of this fantastic podcast, A Look Inside Sharing Power in Child Welfare. Uh, today, I am joined by two fantastic individuals I've had the pleasure to know for uh, at least almost a year, maybe a year and a half. Miss um, Julie Tudor, who is the Assistant Director of Clark County Department of Children and Family Services, and please correct me if I got that title wrong, as well as Madison Sandoval-Lund, who is the Program Area Manager for Family and Youth in, uh, Empowerment with the Pasadena Center for State. Um, so I'm very excited to be here with them and to share some space and to talk about how we share power and how they have done it in their careers and how they have continued to do it in ensuring that people who are coming up after them are equals and are at that table. So welcome, you two. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. So I want to get started with just a little bit of level setting. So listeners, you've probably already heard how we're going to talk about sharing and what that means to us. But I want to start with my fantastic, uh, with my fantastic guest, Judy. How do you define sharing? What does that mean to you when you hear that? What does that mean for you? First thing I think about when I think about power sharing is one, just identifying that you have power, like what your power is. Um, and how you use that power to determine how you can really share power. Uh, and to me, uh, power sharing is as much about empowering those around us as it is about also just practically kind of sharing the workload um, for all the many things that uh, we have to do. Uh, but I think a fundamental piece of sharing power is probably just that empowerment piece and how important it is for everyone who is at the table to feel like they have uh, a voice in the process. You know, when you said sharing the workload, right, I think that's something that's pretty unique. Uh, I don't think I've heard that in the, in the time that I've heard people discuss that power sharing piece, right? I heard a partnership, but when you said sharing the workload, right, valuing the input that people are going to give um, to do the things that need to get done. I, I, I love that. Uh, Madison, same question. What do you mean, when you hear power sharing, I think that you're you know, extremely knowledgeable. So, like, what does that mean for you? And like, what does that look like in your role? I think it's funny because my my job description or my job role is I'm the family and youth empowerment program area manager. And so the word empowerment means a lot of things. And I think the misconception is when you're empowering someone that is about giving them power. Um, or sharing the power that you have, which is one 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 side of it. But I actually think when I think about the word empower or shared power, it's helping people realize that they have power too. Um, and that in many cases, because of systems involvement or this belief that, you know, people can act upon you without your voice and your choice and your say-so, that people have been made to believe that they don't have any power. And I think it's important for us to understand, for me, that empower means it's realizing that I have power and that the other person across from me also has power and that it's really about helping another person realize that they have power and they can wield that power to really control not only their lives and 
um, their outcomes and that they're very much a part of like the sharing the workload, as Ms. Judy was saying, it's about sharing power means that we're also sharing accountability, sharing responsibility, sharing ownership, right? And it's not about saying like, well, that's your problem. You go figure it out. It's really about how this is our problem, our collective community problem, and that we together as a community, you know, we might not have all the answers, but we can through our collective brain power, <laughs> human power, emotional power, we can really like help shift, you know, how things are turning out for everybody around us. That's excellent. I, I think you, you hit on something that, again, I don't think I've heard in, in this power sharing discussion, which is sometimes you have to pull out that power of the individual, right? It's in giving them, not really giving, right? Because they have it, but making them realize that they have that power. Can you guys kind of talk about how you had to do that? Because I think a lot of times, we only hear about these high flyers, these people who are already showing up at the table realizing they've got that power. But I think we miss those people who are like, hey, no, you you got power. Like, let's get you to that place where you feel comfortable standing in that. What does that have to look like for you? And like, how do you really develop someone to get to that place of being like, yes, I'm ready to stand in my power and do this work or like be an equitable partner? What does that have to look like? What do you have to do to make that happen? I would say I, I was giving this some thought and thinking back to when when did I realize I had power? Because as I mentioned in that definition of power sharing, like you have to know that you have some power in order to be able to share it, right? And so I thought back to the first time that I feel like someone shared their power with me. And it's something that I had talked about previously. And that was really as a youth in care um, at a summer camp. Um, our deputy administrator came to us in that summer camp and asked us for our opinions and feedback about what needed to change in the system. And it was the first time that I felt like oh, someone thinks that I have something important to give and someone recognizes that me being in this system is a value add and wants to learn about that. And it was the first time that I felt like, huh, I, I have something to give in this situation. So I think that was the first inkling. Then fast forward, I, I go into child welfare. I'm a child welfare worker. Um, I'm now, you know, buried deep in like 65 uh, cases of kids that I'm trying to manage. And, uh, and, and I'm experiencing some challenges with how do I, how do I do this? Like I got into this to make a difference and to be a different kind of caseworker given my experience and I, and I'm feeling drugged down into the same system. And, uh, we were looking at going to the legislature to advocate on behalf of, of young people. And I was asked to come to the legislature not as a social worker, but as a person with lived experience who also experienced the system as a worker to be able to like share from that perspective. And I realized then even more than the other example I gave, the power in that, because me going to the legislature as a worker uh, wasn't as successful as going as a person with lived experience to be able to say, you know, this is why it needs to change. And, and let me show you how that really affected me personally and why it needs to change. 
and how I also see that same issue now affecting young people as a, as a worker in the system. And the legislators really listened and heard, and, and I saw change come out of that. And so it was really from this place of being able, again, to recognize that there were people around me that understood I had something that could that I could give that could really be shared that could have an impact. And so I really took that forward in terms of recognizing that and having experienced that myself as I then moved into positions of different power helped me to know the power I had just in those positions to be able to share that with um, those with lived experience and others to really honor their expertise and recognize that even though I may have this position power, the power in their lived experience to influence and impact the system was far greater than anything I could say as a supervisor, manager, administrator, um, but to hear from those with lived experience had more of an impact and an influence uh, on people. And that is really where the power um, lied in the system, is being able to hear from those with lived experience about what they were dealing with and have that influence on others who also had power to move that forward. Excellent. Uh, and Madison, anything to add to that? I think that was a pretty comprehensive, um, you know, kind of view on it, but or anything that you would add to that? I was trying to think about like, when did I first realize I had power? Because I remember I, I'm a, I'm a child of immigrant parents. You know, my mother is, um, you know, so I think it kind of, it starts there for me, which is my mother came, my mother's um, half black, half Vietnamese. She's like the product of the Vietnam War. My father's Vietnamese and they immigrated here and they didn't speak a lick of English, you know, and I didn't speak of a lick of English as a, a child of an immigrant. And I just remember that going into public school settings, people perceived me as ignorant because I didn't speak the same language. And, um, and I was put in English as a second language classes. And I was kind of, it made me feel some type of way being pulled out, you know, because I needed, and it was kind of, uh, but I changed schools so much that I realized, I think by like this third grade, I had changed like, I don't know, half a dozen, at least a dozen schools at that point that um, when, and I had to fill out all of my school applications because it was all in English. So I had to do that. So for me, even at a very young age, I couldn't rely on a parent to do that because they, there was a language barrier and a language gap. And so from a very young age, I very much was in control or had power over, you know, how I conveyed myself. And it was a matter of me making a decision at third grade that I'm not going to check that English is my second language. And I just marked it as my first language. And then my whole life changed because then I acquired the English language at a normal pace as everybody else. And if somebody spoke to me now, they wouldn't guess that English was my second language, right? And it was also when I entered the foster care system and I had, up to that point, had been failing a whole bunch of classes, you know, because I had changed school so many times because growing up in domestic violence and, like, homelessness and stuff. And and my my first foster mother was a teacher, and she just, she was like, let's just, let's just test. You know, let's just give you a test. Um, because I was failing school, and they were trying to figure out how they should place me. And both my sister and I 
tested into the gifted and talented education. And even, and she had saw the potential in me and she encouraged me to reach. You know, she didn't perceive me as a troubled kid or I was ignorant because I had bad grades. Like she saw the potential and almost challenged me to reach that potential. And so all of those very, um, very formative experiences in my life had always had me realize that my potential is not measured by other people, it's by what I believe of myself. And so when I think about helping people claim their power, it is helping people for me, I try to continue to embody an empowered person. And that doesn't always strike well for everybody, but I need to stand. I know that what I'm capable of, and I want to challenge others to reach their fullest potential, not about them being me or having as much power as me or like nothing like that, but more of realizing that we've always had that power. And it's always been these systems that are designed to make us feel disempowered. We've always had that power and that power has always been inherent in us, right? And it, and I think it's probably my interest in government, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, you know, that we are all created equal. Like that stuff stood, stuck with me so deep that I chose Madison as my first name when I was adopted, uh, second to James Madison, you know? So that was like, and for me, that's what I what I think about when I think about empowering people is helping people realize that they have power. And so when people ha feel like are empowered and they challenge me, I welcome that, you know, because that's where we begin to have a rich discussion about how we can create these changes together and not that all the responsibility is on me or on you, Tony, or on Judy to fix the system, right? It requires all of us to become, I think, critically aware or critically conscious enough that we're like making these strides together and realizing that through our collective power, we can, we can make those change happen. I just want to affirm and agree that Madison has always had power. Uh, like I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. Madison has always evoked power and, and, and hearing that it's interesting to hear such a different experience because my experience in coming through uh, child welfare, I always had a sense of powerlessness. So I often felt like I didn't have power in the situations that I was in. And really, you know, as I was thinking about power sharing, recognized that I had a need to develop even the knowledge that I had power to give. So completely different experience. Like I had to figure out that I had power and that I could share that power um, to give it. Whereas I totally agree, Madison, from the moment that I met Madison, always had power, was always ready to um, step up and uh, and evoke that power and encourage and and be a part of of those uh, solutions in um, our relationship and going, you know, way back uh, to, uh, you know, being a, a leader in the system and Madison being a young person in the system. Like that was absolutely perfection because you have always had power. So it's very clear that obviously Madison and Judy, you guys seem to know each other pretty well. I, you know, for, for our listeners, they're both based in Nevada. How does this, how did this relationship come to be, y'all? I remember... Uh, meeting Madison as, uh, at the time, I was a, I believe I was a program manager over our independent living program. And we had, we had done a lot of work 
um, to really uh, kind of uh, relaunch our independent living program. So when I started as the uh, manager, we had a one person that was meeting with all the young people. And at that time it was probably like 200 young people. They would meet with them when they turned 16, they would do an independent living plan and then they would give that independent living plan to their permanency worker and they would work with that young person. Um, and, and we had like independent living skills classes and, and different things, but that was the extent of our program. And so we really decided to look at um, expanding our program uh, to really meet the needs of young people and engaging people, young people with lived experience was a huge part of that. And so we really had done a lot of work to develop our uh, youth advisory board. And so we had really done a lot of different um, engagement activities to really bring young people into that board, to establish officers in that board, uh, and really start to embrace uh, positive youth development in, in viewing young people as um, not uh, just consumers of uh, services, but really contributors um, in those services. And so I remember meeting Madison as part of our youth advisory board. I think it started when I came to a youth advisory board. For me, it was mirroring that experience that I had had as a young person growing up in the system of coming to youth advisory boards periodically to hear from them about how things were going, um, what were some of their goals, what were the things that they really wanted to work on um, and achieve to help us in you know, administration develop kind of what our agenda would be to improve services and, and make changes. And I remember Madison being a part of um, that youth advisory board. I remember having conversations with the uh, supervisor or assistant manager over independent living um, and having conversations about Madison and just her, her natural gift uh, for leadership, um, for organization, for advocacy. As we mentioned, as leaders, we have various levels of position power and you come in to a situation and you're hearing from people, but you're really coming in thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, great. But then being so challenged by um, the people that you came to hear from where not only they're willing to tell you what's going on, but the urgency, like, no, this is important and this needs to change now and how invigorating and inspiring that is as a leader to really hear that, that really creates that urgency for you in moving things forward. Working with Madison, um, not only in the youth advisory role, um, she was instrumental in um, us sending young people to the legislature and advocating for um, our foster care bill of rights in um, going to like Children's Day at the legislature and uh, really uh, telling the story of young people um, in the legislature so that they would understand what it's like for a young person um, to be in foster care. Madison, you know, easily um, would walk into those situations, was willing to walk into any situation um, and, and really talk about um, her experience and and, and advocate on behalf of young people. And, and even beyond her being in uh, foster care, we just continued to have 
uh, that uh, relationship. So even as she aged out as an adult, um, we continued to uh, keep in touch. Um, we uh, worked on trying to develop a mentoring program for young people um, who are in foster care and for young people who are transitioning out of care um, and starting a Nevada chapter for the Foster Care Alumni of America. In my various roles when, uh, when I was doing curriculum at UNLV, uh, reaching out to Madison to be a part of um, reviewing that curriculum and, and training that material. Um, and, and really just uh, over the course of, you know, not only that professional re um, relationship, but really just developed um, a, a friendship, uh, a, you know, Madison would always reach out and say that, you know, she was reaching out to me for, for mentorship. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, we were also mentoring one another um, because we had that shared experience in foster care. And so Madison will tell you, I'm sure, how much she has gotten out of this relationship and cherishes this relationship. But I would say there is also a sharing um, in what we've gotten from one another uh, in that relationship uh, as well. Uh, she didn't always see child welfare as her path. And sometimes was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm over this. <laughs> I'm not sure this is the way to go. But when I look at the impact that she's having on the system and really the legacy that she is creating, um, I'm so grateful that um, she has decided to kind of hang in there um, and continue to do this work uh, because it's it's just amazing to see um, how she's grown and and evolved and like I said I can't imagine you know all the great things that she's going to get to do in her her lifetime. So so sweet. One of the things that made me draw to Miss Judy, I had no idea that Miss Judy had lived experience at all for like the longest time that I met her. Um, but I did know, and I did remember that one time when we were at the Paradise Recreational Center and Miss Judy and the senior management team of DCFS uh, came in for um, these things that we called fireside chats. They were kind of uh, parallel to like the FDR's fireside chats where it was conversations between us and the management team. And I just remembered that she was highly attentive and was actually listening to the things that were being said and didn't make any promises that couldn't be delivered. Like I remember that there wasn't any like false promises being made. Um, there's individuals who poured power, knowledge, money, resources, connections all to themselves. And Miss Judy is the antithesis of all of that. She shares her knowledge, she shares her power, she shares her connections. And so that makes her such um, a leader that I look up to um, as a person who shares power authentically and meaningfully with people. Um, and to and for a long time, I was intimidated because I was like, this is, she's a legend. Uh, how can I imagine working with this legend? And I think that that's what's the beauty. That's why partnership is so crucial because I had ideas. I didn't know how to always execute them, right? And so it was always about like making those connections. And I remember asking Miss Judy, like, hey, will you be a part of this foster care alumni of America chapter uh, that I'm trying to pull together? Uh, I need seven people and you fit the criteria. And she was, she was, she was down. It was a yes, automatic yes. And it was, and we didn't know what it would be or what would it turn out to be. 
And like, you know, while we didn't formally create a mentorship program, all of us who were part of like creating foster care alumni of America, we are, all of us are still connected. All of us still continue to provide peer mentorship and peer support, um, you know, and get, try to help each other through difficult times. And I think that there's a lot to say about like Miss Judy's leadership is around how she shares everything she has. But I think it is the leaders who um, take the time to share what they have to create the change together. And um, and I always know that if I feel like any sense of injustice in any kind of system, I can talk to Miss Judy and if she can do something about it, she will try. And I, I, I know that. And I think that that's where... Um, where there's that trust and um, DeMarco was one of our, is one of our fellow alums. And I knew that he was an alum and because he trusted Miss Judy, that allowed me to trust Miss Judy too. And it's kind of that credible messenger piece of it too, is like, um, because growing up in the system, you have hesitancy. Like people tell you they're one way, but they act another way. And so there's like always this um, almost like cognitive distortion around like, who can you actually trust? Um, and for me, seeing, you know, having another alumni have such a trusting relationship with Miss Judy allowed me to feel like allow myself to open up and like also build a relationship with her. All to say she's led an incredible career and has done so many things and have impacted so many lives, me being one of them. Um, so forever grateful. That's it. I love hearing that, you know, and I hope that everyone who touches the travel birth system can find their Judy tutor, because from what it sounds like, we all need at least one person like that in our lives. So that really was very heartwarming, and that made me smile very, very much. And I have to agree with you, uh, Judy. I mean, I've only known Madison for almost two years now. And I mean, yeah, I, she, to me, just epitomized what I think of, like, with someone who stands in that power and all the times that we've discussed. And you said, Madison, that, you know, you welcome that challenge. And people will push back on you for whatever the reason is. I want to expand on that idea of, like, welcoming the challenge. When we look at the child welfare system, whether it's at the, you know, uh, local level, the federal level, whatever level you want to look at, people often say, well, it's hard to do that power thing. It's hard to bring people in sometimes, right? How do we actually get systems, you know, no matter how you want to look at it, how do we get systems to welcome that challenge? Because that's changing hearts and minds, right? That's changing the organizational culture, right? How do we have to make that happen, right? Because if we want it to be successful, it's going to have to be a slow process, but like one that requires like actual intentionality behind it. So how can we get to a place where we are welcoming that challenge? I think it's really about, and it's consistent with this year's SWEV around power and partnership. And that it's not about creating adversarial relationships because you can't make change if you perceive the, the child welfare leader across from you as an adversary or the child welfare leader sitting across from the family or the young people as adversaries. Because if we start there, we're not going to go down a path of partnership. But I think where, as everyone develops into a leader, right, I think, and Judy, we're going to make this about you as well. You know, Judy has always been very open to bringing in other leaders, like our young leaders, so that they can be developed, but also open to different perspectives and welcoming, like, change. I think that that's not something Judy steers away from. In fact, she, like, promotes that as a, as a conversation. I think about 
We had the opportunity in Nevada with AB 99, which is a legislation for foster adopted parents and child welfare leaders to receive LGBTQ training. And so Ms. Judy was at the university doing the training and co-designed the training with the other university partners, but was very quick to like fold like people like myself into the process and like taught me how to do the training and then was receptive to feedback about like how this training could be made more engaging so that people can better understand the heart of the matter. And by the end of it, I think I changed like a human, all the major aspects of the training. But now it's, I think it's a pretty engaged, and it was about us co-designing and co-creating the change together. This was true. I mean, there's been so many examples where Judy has folded in young leaders in like, even as independent living workers, she was a program manager. This is gonna be a brag session, I'm sorry. But uh, Judy was the program manager over um, independent living. And I think one of the things that she had the vision for, which is part of really great leadership is having the vision, is that people who experience the system should be in the roles of helping other people navigate the system as even independent living workers because of that vision that she had, like people like our friends, uh, DeMarco and myself and Antisha and like all these young people that I will name because they're amazing humans, were able to fill into these roles and help other young people navigate the system as near peers. And it was, it's a little, it's a couple of things is having the vision, a, a vision that this can be done better, you know, and that there is no stagnation in that belief that you can, you always believe that there's something can always be improved. Um, number two is being open to diverse and different ideas and recognizing the limitations of what we know and what we understand. Um, because as, as Ms. Judy has been quite some time out of the system, as have I, and the systems have changed since then. I know for a fact I've never experienced the foster care system during a pandemic. <laughs> so what do I know about how to really address those unique challenges and needs? And so I think it's also really re recognizing our proximity to the issue is also really important. And so by involving those who are again, closest to the problem, we may get a little bit closer to like the real solution that could be more responsive to their needs. So I think that that answered your question around like being, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be a challenge. You're not trying to challenge the person, but I think it's about how do we challenge ideas and unpack them so that when changes are happening, we're not experiencing any unintended consequences and that this was collaborative thinking and that whether this wins or fails, it's on all of us. It's not because it was one single person and that all of us had the responsibility to contribute to the solution so that we can make improvements in our system. Yeah, if I, I could just add to that, I would say this really comes back to just an overall basic tenant, I think, in, in social work, right? Like from the beginning of learning about social work and learning and working in the system, uh, you have to be aware of your power and you have to be able to manage your power, whether that is in work with families, in work with children, right? It is always about if I, if I try and work with a family in the child welfare system and I come in as the expert and tell you what you need to do to make your family right, it's not going to work, right? We have to honor each other's expertise in that partnership. And so 
I like that you mentioned at the beginning, Tony, like it is a culture issue. If we have that value that everyone in the process brings their own expertise to the process and has input into that, then we will be a better system. Like everybody wins in that situation. Everyone um, is, is brought in, everyone benefits. You come up with solutions that work for the, you know, the collective that is involved and not just one side or the other. So it absolutely is a, a culture and a mindset, but there is also a very big reality in I think our child welfare system that you also have to know what's in it for me, right? And that to me is where the shared workload piece comes in because if it's a shared partnership, I can, as a leader, have a vision for having a, an annual independent living conference for young people in my state. As an administrator, I may not have the manpower and, and the, the margin in my calendar, in, in my ability to do that. But I have an amazing group of young people that know what they need in a conference, that have the skills um, or can develop the skills to come together and decide what they want in a conference, to identify venues for that conference, to be given a budget for what that conference can look like, and, and be able to do that. So now, as an administrator, I'm not, I don't have this vision and it's nothing I can ever get to. I share that workload because I authentically give that space and leadership to the young people who would probably rather um, do it anyway. I'd come up with workshops that I think are a great idea, but may not be for them, right? And so they have that expertise. Why not allow them to be able to do that? And and like I said, it, it has to be authentic though. It can't be, oh, tell me what you want. It, you know, to do, or you have to present your recommendations to me and I, you know, get to veto. It's no, here's your budget. You plan the conference. And I think that, you know, that is really important and also makes sense for folks in terms of when I, also when I share power, the reality is it is selfish in some ways because I get something out of it as well. And oftentimes I get something better than what it would have been had I just tried to, you know, do that myself. So I think there's, it, it absolutely is a philosophy that you have to honor everyone's expertise and have um, that collaborative work to be able to not only move forward, but move forward better. And that. Um, you know, you also have to answer the question, like, what's in it for me? If I'm going to make the effort to be collaborative and to, to do these things, what will, what will everyone get out of it? And the reality is they will get a better product than if it was just one person trying to meet that need. I, I, I like the way you said that. You have to think about the what's in it for me, because you know, without context, right, that might sound selfish, but you're right, right? Like, what is it that I can get out of this from, you know, personally or organizationally by doing that power sharing, right? I think that's, I think that's a great consideration. And I think you both kind of touched on some, like, some part of this. You have to be able to trust, 
right? You need to trust the people you're sharing power with that you're, they're going to deliver. They're going to be that partner with you in that. But I think that could be really hard in child welfare systems, right? Because there's that inherent distrust from children using families about touching the system to like, they're like, oh, am I really going to get brought in in a way that's meaningful? Um, so I think that, you know, part of this is continuing to break down those stereotypes or break down some of those preconceived notions about what child welfare is because we know what it has been. But I think now it's getting to a point where like, let's talk about what it should be or what it can be by doing the things that you guys have both just suggested. So I, I think that's, that's really, that's great. Hi, Tony. Hey, Jamie. You covered a lot of ground in the first half of your conversation. Um, I was really struck by um, talking about power sharing and that when you share power, it isn't giving up your own power. And really thinking about the value that everyone's input and expertise in the system matters and overall the system will be better if you feel that way. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I want to agree with you. At first, like the whole idea of like power sharing doesn't mean that you have less, right? Like I think we get into that whole mindset of more for me means less for you, and it, and it doesn't have to, especially not in this kind of a space. Um, it, like the biggest takeaway I really took away from like listening to the to the conversation between Madison and, and Miss Judy, as you'll have heard, my fellow listeners, um, is that power sharing is is simply realizing that somebody else has power, right? That is the foundational piece of the work, and if you can't even realize that someone else has power, you can't. Power share, because again, to your point, you're not giving it, right? We're empowering people to realize the power they already have. Um, and to me, I remember when I listened to that originally, I was like, mind blown. Um, so yeah, I was very thankful I got to be a part of this conversation with with two people I absolutely admire in this space and two people from whom I think we can all learn a lot. So yeah, very, very good conversation. I was really great. I got to, got to hang out with them for that, that period of time. Yeah, it was an amazing conversation. I'm really looking forward to hearing more from all of you. Um, what can the listeners expect to hear in the second part? Yeah. So, I mean, the second part was just as lively and just as good as the first part. I think I had a few more mind-blowing moments. Um, my hair, if I had any, would be standing on ends. I had chills, right? I'm bald my, to my listeners. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the things that I think they can really expect to listen to are, are some of these harder truths um, when it comes to power sharing that we don't always hear. So, like, the first one is, like, Trust being foundational. Miss Judy talks a lot about if we want to do any of this work, we have to start by building trust with the people, the children, youth, and families we're working with. And we don't always want to hear that um, because the child welfare system traditionally has not done a great job of doing that. So definitely be prepared to listen to some of that. And then Madison makes some really good points about how like this change to getting to a place where we're power sharing and we're you know valuing people and we're valuing their expertise, right? That is a slow process. It's going to be a painful process for some, right? These are some of those hard truths that we don't always want to talk about when we're doing this work. Um, and so I'd say the second half of this conversation is really talking about some of those hard truths, but things we have to get right on the forefront if we're going to have any chance of making this a successful um, movement, if you will, within the child welfare system well everybody you know so that's what you can expect so definitely check that out go and give us a listen and in the meantime you know like and follow our series wherever you find podcasts because we want to know like is this something that you find valuable because we have a lot of fun putting these out for you and we want to make sure that these are fun for you too so go ahead and listen to our second conversation give us a like give us a follow and there's more where this came from <laughs>